we all have to be mindful. Sometimes we think the path that we did not think is rosier than the path we took. We all think that way, but that may not necessarily be true because we always think the grass is greener on the other side. I think you have to be grounded, mindful, balanced, and take the time to make a decision. Never be rushed and use time as your ally. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Raman Sagal, Recovering Marketer. And I'm Sharad Lal, the Curious Conversationist. Raman and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee. On today's show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Shankar Vishwanath. Shankar recently left PNG in December 2022 and spends his time on various advisory boards and nonprofit projects. He spent 32 years with PNG starting his career in India as an account manager and then went on to become the senior vice president, e-business leader, Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa. Shankar's career with PNG has been very global. He's lived in 6 countries, moved 14 times and handled 12 assignments. He's worked across almost all product categories at PNG. Shankar's leadership starts with people. He believes in the power of relationships to unleash the best of people, employees, customers, and other stakeholders. Originally from India, Shankar currently lives in Singapore with his wife, Uma. His daughter, Shreya, is in Harvard Business School. In his spare time, Shankar does yoga and mindfulness and is a trained instructor in both. He's very involved in philanthropy, having led the Force of Good program in Singapore, started a school for orphans in Vietnam, and helped educate children through direct support and coaching. What I love about Shankar is the honesty with which he speaks. He's not afraid to be vulnerable and is constantly learning. He's very detail-oriented. In the first half of his career, he would dig into data, unmine insights, and grow the business. In the latter half, he shifted the same skill in understanding people better and enabling them to be their best. We can all learn from Shankar on how to evolve as a leader and still stay authentic to our core. We talk about the solid start that PNG provides us. How to think about forks in the road we are all bound to face. The role mentors and other smart people play in influencing us. How to think about dual careers. Balancing work with family life. Managing adversity most of us are bound to face. Thriving in a global career and a lot more. I've known Shankar from a distance, but through this conversation, it was rewarding to hear the multiple dimensions he has to himself and how he's consciously and deliberately carved out a rewarding career and life for himself. Let's dive right in. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Shankar. Hi, Shankar. Welcome to the PNG Alumni Podcast. Hey, hi, Shara. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's absolutely a privilege, Shankar. And you spent 32 years in PNG with a strong, illustrious, and rewarding career. And we'll get into that as we go along. But before your career journey, who was Shankar? So before my career in PNG, I was a very hardworking boarding school kid. I was in boarding school from the age of five. And because the, my parents really aspired to a very, very high quality education in the best public school in India, despite having no job or money at home. And I was in boarding from the age of five, so you can imagine. Wow. I did my economics in St. Stephen's. After that, I did my MBA from IIM Ahmedabad. And actually, after that, I had some interesting twists. I actually wanted to serve the country, work for the government, and really spend my time amongst nature. So that's why I took two years off, nine months to work in an Indian company versus a multinational company that I got a job to. And then a year to study for the UPSC and work for the government, which is the Indian Administrative Service. Although I learned a lot, picked up two new subjects, but I didn't get the IAS. And then I did about seven months of trekking in the Himalayas, right from what, January of 
2000 to July, June, July of 2000. So that's where, that's, that's who I am. And suddenly I was staying with my friend and PNG happened and here I am 32 and a half years later. Wow, wow. So many things, you were looking at the country, you were looking at serving the country and then the dots connected and somehow PNG happened. What, what kind of drove that decision? I'm a little curious about that. How did that come about? Well, PNG, of course, I didn't know much about PNG, but I, was, I went to Bombay and was staying with friends who were working in PNG. But then I went to pay a PNG office to, you know, there's a guy called Paddy whom I was staying with, and he was staying yes. in my father's apartment. He had given it to him on lease. So he said, come to the office, you'll get free lunch. So <laughs> I went to the office. Uh, I had free lunch at Isacon House. And then he said, just hang around. And then I met uh, Mohit Nagrath, who was the HR manager, middle, mid-level HR manager. And they were at that point of time, PNG had just become RHL from RHL. PNG had one of its biggest acquisitions. Mm. I would argue the most successful acquisitions in the world, the buyout of Richardson Vicks. I think it was 84, 85. And that's how PNG entered most of Asia, you know, Japan, Malaysia, Singapore, India, Australia. Uh, etc. And then he said, would you like to join? I said, I was not thinking of joining, but then he said, here is the offer, go finish your medical and come back and you can join us on July 1. So that's how I joined PNG. I mean, it was not a planned effort, but you know, and that serendipity has stood right through my career, the kind of assignments I've done, the kind of people I've chanced upon. Wow. I, I don't regret a moment of this beautiful career. Wow. That, that's so interesting. Through serendipity, you had a career of 32 years. When I was looking at your resume, what I found really interesting, you joined PNG in 1990. And at that stage, like you mentioned, you'd gone to a top school in India, Dune School. You'd gone to boarding school. You'd gone to a top business school. You'd also kind of prepared for the Indian National Service. And then when you joined this in 1990, that was the time India was opening up. It was no longer insular. It was a very exciting time. Things were opening up. At that stage, what were your aspirations of life? And how did the first few years work out for you? Well, my aspirations of life, were, they were very simple. And it has always been my aspiration. I remember I was just coming from a failure. You know, I just failed not getting my aspiration, which is to get into Indian Administrative Service. And I'd put in a full, you know, 11 months of effort, quitting my job at Bombay, sitting at home, studying new subjects and not making it. And so uh, I wanted to you know, be successful. That's one. Second, I think it was, I was very convinced that PNG wanted to really invest and grow the talents in India. Uh, of course, I was young, probably immature. Uh, but at the same time, what people had said that the values are really important. They want to grow across the country and they want to build a new genre of people in sales. Uh, so I didn't join the marketing stream then. I joined the sales team. We were changing the profile of people from the non-MBAs to the MBAs. So I was probably one of the first few MBAs to join the stream. So I was super excited. And they put me on this project of launching the second PNG brand in India, uh, which is Ariel in uh, Vizac, Vishakapatnam. And we launched that on October 21st, 1990. I remember the day to the dot. Of course, I was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was a momentous occasion. And what we learned, of course, I was a new hire, is, has stood with me to the test of time. And if you could talk a little bit about what was that, what, what did you learn there that stood with you for till, till today? Number one, as a company, whether you're a new hire or the senior most person in the business, like uh, the late Urban Elichukon, mm -hmm. who just passed away, or Bharat Patel, you know, you work as a team together and when you're sitting in a room, hierarchy really doesn't come into play. People respect the most uh, knowledgeable person in the room. Number two, it's about data. I mean, we, we seek out information and data and you know, analytics. I mean, those days, remember, there were no mobile phones, no laptops. We had to get daily retailing out, weekly retailing sent to Mumbai. It had to reach by 9 a.m. on Bombay uh, every Monday. And looking at data to looking at trends to developing building plans. I think the most important was it was a demonstration of PNG whether we can truly be successful in India on the core categories of PNG. Because before uh, Ariel, we launched a Whisper, which had arguably started doing well, which was about a year, year and a half before. 
But, you know, laundry was the core category of P&G and still is. It's a disproportionate percentage of our business globally. And we had to make laundry successful to be one of the top five markets in the world one day. And P&G put in the might, the effort, the learning, the desire, made a lot of mistakes. But 25 years or what now, 32 years into it, we are making progress, uh, but still a long way to go compared to our shares in North America. Absolutely. And, and I'm just thinking back to that challenging time that PNG is entering this market. You're launching the second brand, Unilever, which was Hindustan Unilever, HLL, is very, was very established at the time. You guys were unsure which way to go. Do you want to play at the top segment? Do you want to go mass? The different thoughts, and then you go out and do it. So very, very exciting time. And you did mention that there were a few mistakes made. There was a lot of learning. If you can talk about early in your career, for you personally, were there any mistakes that you can remember and what you learned from it? Well, for me, I think one big mistake we made and I made is underestimating the power of competition. We were entering a completely new trade segment. Remember, PNG those days was basically a healthcare company in India and just had started into feminine care. So we were probably a small 100, 100 crore company and most of it was VIX and uh, its associated lineups. Uh, we were entering the grocery trade, which is, uh, you know, the Kiranas and, uh, you know, where general merchandise is traded and not just selling in the chemist segment. I think we underestimated the challenge that is there in the grocery trade and what, what a large competitor like you, Hindustan Lever can do in terms of investment spending. In fact, some of the challenges we had is that they had so much money, they could even buy out our products to indicate lost, uh, <laughs> to indicate not right offtake levels. So give us a sense of false sense of hope. Uh, but we had to stay the course and uh, keep building that relationship. So what I've learned is never, never, never underestimate what your competitors can do, big and small. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a huge lesson for anyone it's not only it starts with competitors, then there's technology shifts, there's many things that go along the way. I was wondering in your career when you were, of course, after the first few years, were there any points where there were forks in the road and you needed to take a call on path A versus path B or C? What were those points and what path did you choose and, and why? Well, yeah, I've had forks all the time. So... <laughs> Many folks in the roads. I think the folk that really stood out to me was in Russia. I mean, when I was in Vietnam, and I'd just come back from Russia to Vietnam for an assignment, and I was the country manager in Vietnam for almost four and a half years. Then in 2006, they actually requested me to go back to Moscow as the sales head for the Eastern European business. And, uh, and they said, you know, a year from then, you'll also get promoted to band six, which is arguably a very senior level in the company, which is a vice president level. Now we call it senior vice president. And for family balance, for education, for my daughter and for, the, for my wife to pursue her needs, I chose not to take that assignment and continue on the path in uh, Singapore and in Asia. That's a very big fork and, you know, I still sometimes think that whether it was the right decision or wrong, I think nothing wrong has happened, but I'm thinking what else could have happened hmm. had I taken the path, gone back to Moscow. No regrets, but just some thoughts about possibilities on the other fork. Absolutely. And Jankar, many of us have been in this type of a situation where whether it's, it's a holistic personal life versus career and no matter what decision we make, it, it, it kind of creates a, a what-if scenario. And I wonder if you ever compared yourself to others and say, hey, you know what, because of not taking the decision, I can visibly see the progress I could have made. If that kind of stuff happened or if anything in that realm happened, and how did you manage and deal with it? Well, so firstly, you know, we all have to be mindful. Sometimes we think the path that we did not think is rosier than the path we took, you know. So mm. uh, we all think that way, but that may not necessarily be true because we always think the grass is greener on the other side, which it is not always the case. And this is another manifestation of the same uh, thought process. Second, I think we took a very methodical decision. You know, my wife, Uma, and me sat down. Uh, we made pros and cons. Uh, I had good discussion with my mentors. Uh, I've had 
I've had the benefit of some lovely mentors in PNG, explain to them position and stage of life for me. And then, you know, and we said, we also asked the question, if you were to take this decision not to go, uh, what would be the consequences of not going? And uh, some of the consequences we painted quite correctly in terms of possibly slower career growth, possibly, uh, but on the pros was the happier family. So I think I, I don't have a regret of not taking the part because it's a very mindful decision. It was grounded on data and uh, it was based on deep conversations with mentors, family, and friends whom I really trusted. You know, if I go back and look, I think it was still the right decision. And where my family has come up, where my daughter has developed, and uh, it's really been fulfilling. So I think you have to be grounded, mindful, balanced, and take the time to make a decision. Never be rushed and use time as your ally. And that's what I've tried to do. Love that. Love that, Shankar. And that's such a thoughtful answer where it's sitting back, looking at what's important to you in life, considering everything, seeking out help, talking to advisors, and with all that together, making a conscious choice before moving. Love that. One of the things I've heard from people who worked with you is your detail orientation. You're very detail oriented. You look at the data, you do your work. I'd love to understand where you got that from and how's that served you through your career? Yeah, I am very detailed. Uh, I would also say sometimes to a level of detail, which can become a, to be meticulous, which can also be a negative. So I'm self-aware of uh, same strength that can become a weakness. Uh, I got this from my managers, especially from my earliest mentor, K.S. Ramesh, who was my boss in Chennai. And he would also dig, dig, dig and go deeper because the deeper you go, the more uh, gold there is to find. I go nowadays, uh, you know, it's obviously a second habit. I tend to go deep. Now I learned it's not about digging as I've grown older. It's about asking the right questions so that people can dig deeper. Mm. Uh, second, I also dig deeper, not just in the business area. I'm, I've learned over, the, especially in the second half of my career, that you also need to dig deep to understand people, where they come from, what motivates them, what turns them on, how they get excited, what keeps them engaged. And that's something I love. So, you know, this came out of obviously the upbringing and my coaching from my manager. And obviously the digging or the depth has stood the test of time in terms of business results. And therefore it has become a perpetual habit. In fact, some of this I use in my personal life with my daughter and my wife. And it can be frustrating because I have, <laughs> I have bumped. I'm, I'm generally a person who has boundless curiosity. You know, I have mm. the joy of learning and I love to do new things, new places, new countries, new business. I'm like a kid in a China shop. So I buy more books than I can read. I listen, I sign up for more courses than I can complete. So it just comes from there. Wow. L love that, Shankar. And what, what I took out of it was you have this strong skill of curiosity, digging data, and you use that in the first half of your career in business and growing the business. And then in the second half of your career, you changed your leadership style a little bit where you used it in figuring out people, understanding people, and that way being able to lead them. Would that be accurate? And I'd love to hear how that approach helped you in becoming a strong people manager, having strong relationships. Yeah, I think Sharad, you hit the nail on the head. In fact, I, I got some quite debilitating feedback in 2008 uh, after I moved to Singapore. Obviously, I'd skipped his Russia assignment. The person who had gone to Russia did become band six. I was obviously dejected. I think it turned me into a very bad person. You know, it was like, personally, I was not taking care of myself. I was kind of brash and rude with my people. Then I did get that feedback from, from my peers in my 360-degree feedback and from my managers and some of my closest mentors and they floored the feedback to me like Chip, et cetera, and they heard it and they said, what happened to you? Uh, this was 2008, nine. Then I got a wake-up call and I recollect, I said, what happened to me? I mean, can I just change my orientation to people? I said, I need to go out and do something about this. And that's when I got into, first I signed up to become an executive coach 
And I went outside PNG and I signed up with the Neuro Leadership Group, which is David Rock School, whom PNG then discovered, I think, uh, half a decade or seven years later and became an executive coach. Then I discovered yoga. I was always a practitioner of yoga, but I went and did my yoga teacher training and pulled my wife into it with me so that we could do it together so that when my daughter leaves home, we have some joint activity to do. Mm. I think it's just a part of self-discovery. And again, I give a lot of credit of this to PNG because they told me what I was not doing right, how what I needed to improve, and what I had gone off the rails, not on business. Business results were spectacular. 2008-9, we had spectacular more than 15% growth, etc. But here's a person who had lost his way. So, so you know, that's how I, I discovered that you need to be far more balanced. You know, business happens because of people, not independent of them. Shankar, very mature of you to talk about it in this vulnerable way. Appreciate it. And even very mature of you at that time to take this on the head because often when we get negative feedback, we can be quite upset about it. And maybe that's, you were upset in the beginning, but then understanding the feedback for what it is and doing the change. Like you said, you went out of PNG, got the right help and emerged as someone who focused on people, focused on relationships. And then that impacted your personal life. And I'd love to dig about your personal life, yoga and meditation. We'll, we'll come to that later, but that impacted your personal life and impacted who you are today. So that's very, very inspirational for everyone listening. Thank you. You talked about mentors and leaders, and you, of course, talked about Chip. You talked about your first mentor. I'd love to hear about some of the mentors and leaders who have inspired you in your journey in PNG, and if there's any story that you remember which can be very useful here. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just so many mentors. I mean, sure, the principle I maintain that, you know, children are an outcome of how their parents are. Mm. I think we are also an outcome of what our managers have been you know, how they've treated you. So I, I, of course, I talked about T.S. Ramesh, a person who, might, who mentored me, who pushed me, who trusted me, and actually put me in a very, very big job because I was the first uh, division manager for Southern Branch in 1995. Otherwise, all our division managers were never promoted from within, but they were brought from outside because they said, you guys are not capable. Enough. And I was at a ripe age of 30, managing people of 45, 50 years old. So I would trust, I would give him the thing for trust, going deep. I think the second person whom I met in my journey after him was a person called Helmut Maxner. And he came as the general manager or vice president of India. And the kind of trust he gave us and the kind of self-belief, because till then, you know, our India business had been having a roller coaster ride, you know, sometimes going up, sometimes going down. But as Helmut came, he made us believe in ourselves and he created careers and he sat down with us and painted possibilities of what career can be. And that's when I was the first salesperson from India to be sent out on an international assignment. He found a role for me in the US, talking to Dirk Yager, uh, got me exposure to Dirk Yager when he came to India on a business visit. I think it was in Bhopal. And then uh, he really created and even today I respect him. In fact, I connected with him just to thank him for all that he's done for me. Uh, then there was, uh, you know, Gary Koffer, who was the sales and country head, who taught us the power of uh, connecting globally. Then Chip Bird, my God, what a manager. Mm -hmm. Chip uh, has been my mentor. I'm still in touch with him. Uh, I think one of the most courageous uh, managers I've seen in my career, the ability to take snap decision, stay with the decision, and fight hard till the finish. But, you know, if things are not going well, cut a spade a spade. And I'm still in touch with him. So I just had, you know, uh, lunch with him in San Francisco a few weeks ago. And he's still in touch and just shows the level of... Uh, and he's the one person who knew everybody on the floor, uh, irrespective of whether it was ANT or Band 1 or Band 4. And then, um, you know, Laurent Philippe uh, was another person whom I worked with in Moscow. He was... Very kind man, but brutal. The brutalest business analysis mm -hmm. you would do is with Laurent Philippe. One of the brightest person I've met, he used to push you, he used to ask you, and you know you just had to be prepared. So you know, I can go on and on. Of course, John Pepper, I've never worked for him directly, but I interacted with John 
when he came to Moscow for the 10th year celebration of the PNG subsidiary in uh, Russia. Uh, I think that was 2001 when he came for celebrating with the organization. At that point, you know, I was, I was really a diversity. I was the first Asian who had ever been to the Russian business. And he picked me up from the crowd. He pulled me aside. He made me sit down. He asked me, how are you doing? Who are you? How are things? Is it working out? Is the environment challenging? And then he wrote me a small note thanking me for the relationship and what I'm doing. I mean, me, <laughs> a band four, John Pepper, wow. <laughs> I mean, chairman of the company. And then he wrote a book and then he sent us the book. Uh, he wrote his book and he included, uh, he asked us paragraphs from Vietnam and stayed in touch with me. I mean, it still brings tears to my eyes as to how people can be. So there is much more that we can do for others than we think we can. That's, that's so powerful. And so many leaders, like you said, if, if there's more time, we can just do a whole podcast on mentors who, Absolutely. who worked Absolutely. with you. And, and that's, I can already hear the emotion in your voice as you describe some of these experiences. I joined PNG when, when Chip was at the helm here in, in Singapore. And again, and I've had the good fortune of, being, of gaining inspiration from him and, and so many other leaders. Thank you for that. One of the things I've noticed about your career is... It's been very global. So in your 32 years, you've lived in six countries. You've moved 14 times. You've handled 12 assignments. How is it like every two to three years moving to a new country or a new assignment? How's, how's the experience like? How do you prepare for it? And what's the skill you've built through it? Well, before anything else, I have to thank my family, especially my wife, to partner with me and get through this journey because if not, she's more educated than me. And those days, of course, moves were tough. Uh, jobs for expatriate dependents was not possible. And she did give up a burgeoning career to pursue a global career. And I still call it our career versus just my career. Mm. So, you know, so today, of course, it's more possible for dependents to work, but it wasn't. So she's more educated than me as an MBA engineer. So number one, I think is have a family and a partner that who's willing to put up with this one because otherwise you all have we all have to do split families. I mean, I've also done it for I think maybe one and a half or two to two and a half years of my career, but it's not a sustainable proposition because what's the point coming home and not having a family with you? I think number two is have the dream. The world is bigger than the country you're born in. Mm. And that's something I've aspired to. Uh, we all, of course, all countries are great. They have a national pride, national anthem. All cultures are good. All languages are good. But hey, the world is a bigger part of the country. And there's so much to learn from others. And seek it, strive for it, and you will be better for it. There's still so much of the world I've not seen. I think uh, third, it goes back to my curiosity. I mean, my desire to learn, live in new places, engage with new people, get challenged try and learn new languages. I tried to learn Russian. I tried to learn Vietnamese. Wow. Honestly, I tried to learn American English because they didn't understand the British English. <laughs> so, so it's just fun. And how did I, what is the biggest learning? Hey, all people, I'll tell you 99.99% of the people everywhere in the world are damn good people. Mm. You know, I, I say this in my trainings. Nowhere in the world have I lived as a mother, when the child is born, said, now you will be a prisoner, you'll be a terrorist, or you'll be a thief in your life. Every mother wants the same for their child anywhere in the world. All cultures want you to work hard, be successful, strive to be the best. And it's just fun. I mean, it's just fun engaging with them. And adaptability, uh, relevance, empathy, and closeness. I think these things get you very far in life. Absolutely. And it's great to hear that universal lesson that there's love everywhere. I mean, mothers love their kids. Everyone wants to be happy. They want other people to be happy. Of course, things come in the way. But given the way the world today is, uh, there's, of course, quite a bit of adversity in the world, challenges. I was wondering if you faced any kind of discrimination or adversity during your career. Did that happen anywhere? Yes. I mean, we are all victims of our background and that causes issues, right? So... I think the first adversity I faced is when in India, 
when I joined in 1990 and I told you about the MBA non-MBA, so they're yes. recruiting the MBAs, you know, these, uh, I mean, I was all of what, 25. And, you know, of course, there were the non-MBAs who've been running the business for the last forever since uh, RHL was in India. And they were all 45, 50. So, of course, that was a big adversity convincing them. And at the same time, we were coming at a level higher than them, getting paid more, having less. But that is a way in which you adjust to them, spend time with them, learn the trades from them, and be, be, be connected. I think second one was uh, when I went to the U.S., I still remember this vividly. I mean, I think I landed uh, first week of August in 1998. And my boss handed me the laptop and he said, do you know how to use this? I said, hello, give me a break. <laughs> hello, give me a break. And obviously I smiled through it. I said, uh, I would learn and I wanted to stay humble and quiet and respectful coming from Asia, you know, going to this uh, mammoth. And then I think the other big one I faced was in Russia. When I was the first Asian, they took on the Russian team, uh, Eastern European team. I was really the first Asian they taken. And uh, I faced a lot of challenges externally in Russia also uh, because of the color of skin. And they said, who's this guy who doesn't know anything from Russia, uh, from India and coming to lead our business? So it was challenging. Uh, but I would say that was probably one of my most fulfilling assignments, working with the people. You just have to work through it. You have to accept that differences create uh, adversity unintentionally and you just need to work through them. Right. And I'd love to hear, let's say, one of the cases like, like Russia where the starting point is, of course, acceptance. There could be a difference in starting point and then you work through it. How would you work through something like this? You're at the slight negative, maybe in the Russia story or any other story, how, how would you work through this? You just work through it. You put your head down, show who you are, show your capability, mm. trust in the system. Of course, remember, I had the big benefit of a, of a monolith called Procter & Gamble with yes. the PVPs. It helped me navigate. And that was the you know safety support system of my family. And you show what you're capable of, engage. I think one of the best ways I've learned about cutting through challenges is engaging the group, not running away from the problem, but engaging the group, going in. Uh, having the conversation. Why do you think, what do you know that I don't know? Learning from them, staying, I mean, I have the standard quotation, stay humble and hungry, you know, so, and gradually but surely, if you can be authentic, if you can build true trusting relationship, the ice will melt and the true, true self and the true appreciation will come up. And people are people. We are all the same. And they recognize capability and performance and intent and authenticity. Mm. And th that's so good to hear that it's, of course, you, you show your, your worth and your performance, but you do it in a humble way. Uh, you engage with them and do it. That's, that's great to hear. Now, moving on from work, I know you've been a big, you made sure that you had work-life balance through your career and some of the decisions that you took talk about that. But I'd love to hear if there was a stage in your career where you took your foot off the pedal and you focused a little bit on yourself or your family or, or something. Was there any stage? Yes, I think I can go back to 2013. Yeah. It has already been 10 years as a director. I got promoted in what, April of 2003. I mean, it was just taking too long and I was ready to quit and move on. I think people had become band six as much before me. Jobs had come and not been offered to me. So I did take my legs off the pedal, feet off the pedal. And I'd actually, at that point, actually quit the company. Oh, I joined another company. The company had actually announced my role. And this is March of 2013. And then, you know, of course, the Bob and Werner called me along, along with Kiriyama's son to hold me back. I think uh, at that point, uh, you know, I'd taken, off, taken the eyes off the business, maybe for and people especially, for about five months or so. You know, then putting things back together was harder than five months. It was long, many more months of hard work. So that's a time I, I wish I'd handled that differently. Uh, but anyway, that's been a learning which I ensured that I remain fully engaged whatever the circumstances that I'm going through. Thank you for that. I know that whenever we talk about life beyond work, 
your family always comes up. And even when I talk about work, your family comes up, your wife and your daughter, and they mean a lot to you. How have you balanced the relationship between your family and work? How, how have you struck that balance through your career? And PNG is a very demanding career. Yes, it is. And, and yes, it is not. I think it's a question of being clear, being grounded on your, you know, conscience, being grounded on what really matters to you and being clear. Of course, now if work-life balance is not something you get every day, you don't get every week. Sometimes there are months to end when you don't get it. But then at a point in time when you can sit back and answer the question, uh, when does the family really need me? And I, I say this to all my people, what are those special events that you really better be present for? Because they happen, you know, maybe what, 12 times in a year? You know, dropping your child to school happens 12 times a year when they start a new year. Uh, anniversary, you know, if you're lucky, happens, you know, in a career, maybe 20, 25 times your marriage anniversary, you know, and your child's birthday happens, you know, maybe 15, 16 times before the child leaves home. So I think you need to be very clear what are those moments that you need to treasure and be available for them and mark that in your calendar and say, I will not do what I cannot do and I need to be with the family. I think second one is that being crystal clear that after work, what are you working for? And, you know, you need to go back to the family, spend time with them, give you energy so that when you come back on Monday or next day, you come recharged. Because the most important thing is the contribution that you make when you are fully engaged is at least 20 times more than the contribution that you make when you're not fully engaged, right? So it's not about the hours you spend. It's about the level of full engagement that you demonstrate to your people and your organization and your business and your customers that matters. So I think it's about, you know, being clear on your bearings in life and then investing in them, but also being clear with the family at the same time that there are times when you will just not be available. You have to travel means you have to travel. Work takes precedence. You want to be crystal clear with both groups. Hope, you know, there are enough uh, points of intersection and they understand and life goes on. I love that. Having communication on both sides and, and continuously doing that so you can manage it. And I also love this concept of moments, uh, which makes this very finite, that there are not that many moments, if you really think about it, over a 32-year career that are extremely critical. And being mindful about those moments and making them happen is achievable then. So I like that. That's great. I also like your, you, you, we talked about it earlier, and we can dig a little deeper into it, getting into yoga and mindfulness. And you're now a trainer in yoga and mindfulness. How did that come about and how does that impact your work, your leadership? Oh, very different. I got into it because I always used to, I was practicing yoga because I got started to get back problem at the age of 26, 1991. Okay. And, you know, that's when I did my first MRI, uh, just for three months after our wedding. And that's when I decided, I had a choice either to do a surgery when I was in Hyderabad. Or my doctor told me that, why don't you try yoga? You're still young and you can put up with anything. That's when I discovered yoga in 1991. Then I was doing it myself. It worked. Uh, I didn't have to go through surgery. I didn't want to, you know, uh, unnecessarily interfere with the body at such a young age. Then I had, I had recurrence of back problem, you know, in Chennai when we were there. Then I found a fantastic doctor, actually Dr. Krishna Raman, who's also a trained yoga teacher. And that's when he forced me to come to his class. And I did these sessions on Saturday, Sunday, and his theory class on Monday evenings. Then I was practicing on my own. Then I really got into it. Of course, there were no schools in Russia and Vietnam for me to practice, or even in US those days. I was doing it myself. Then I really discovered that in Singapore, after I was going through this uh, you know, time with myself in 2008. And, you know, I discovered this school. And I was also ready, as they say, as, you know, we all keep looking for schools, but I tell people, hey, listen, when the student is ready, the teacher will always be there. Mm. Don't go the other way around. And I found the school. I got into it. Uh, I loved the center, the Iyengar Yoga School here in, uh, it was right across the office, actually, in Novena. Okay. And so easy for me to go. I did the teacher training there. 
got fully uh, into it and really realized the benefit. Got my wife roped in and I said, this is something we need to do. And I pass these benefits now to people. Now people, if they come to me with a back pain or they're not feeling good or they are, you know, in deep try, I said, okay, let's sit down. Let's not talk about work. Why don't you close your eyes? Just breathe for three minutes. Now, how do you feel? I've taught people how to solve some of their back pain, how to stand, how to just, you know, diffuse the tension in the room, um, laugh. So these are things that have stayed me in very good stead. I've, I've been, I was taking yoga classes. I took a few in Singapore before COVID. Wow. Then I did take in Philippines. I used to take for the organization, especially during every OGSM. So it's been fun. I did take some virtual classes also during COVID for uh, the organization. And people still come to me and I refer them to my teacher or tell them to practice a few things which will make them better. Wow. I'd, I'd love to connect with you separately on yoga. I, I, it's great to discover how passionate you were. I discovered yoga maybe just eight years back for the first time in my life. And it's been, a, it's made irreversible changes in me. And, and, and I just love this whole yoga, mindfulness and slowing down, which has a huge impact on how I'm in business as well as a person. So I'd love to have that conversation offline with you. Sure, anytime. Now, one of the things I've also noticed is you've been very passionate about teaching, whether it's teaching orphans, teaching children, and also set up a school. How did that come about? And what's the experience been like? I mean, this is basically what I've gotten much more than anybody else could have gotten. And uh, I think our first big encounter really started, Big biggest encounter was in Vietnam. And a lot of credit actually goes to my wife and her friend. She used to study at University of Minnesota and she had come to Vietnam and then she and Uma set up a school for orphan children. And the school is now fully sufficient, running on its own. And it's almost 500 kids. Unfortunately, 80% is girls, but it's fully sufficient. Uh, we have been, I'm a very big believer that the single biggest change for a family is education. And the single biggest change for, for a family apart from education is girls' education. Because I truly believe that, you know, if you can get one person in the family educated, ideally the girl, uh, it can transform the family's orientation to life. Uh, respect between the participants in the household and transformative. This has also come from my family because my father and my grandfather have been very, very big believers in women's education. My mother is actually, you know, she's passed away young, but she was the first PhD in operation research from first woman PhD in operation research from Bombay University in the 1960s. Wow. She, he forced my wife to study and do an MBA after marriage. That's the same thing that I passed on to my daughter. So I think the status of families is dependent on the status of women. And the status of women is dependent on the, their education. And this can be transformative. And I've seen that with my own eyes. And that's the why I'm so passionate about this one area. I'm going to spend a lot more time going forward. I do support some other charities in India. And the more we can do, the better. You sound so passionate talking about it, Shankar. And that kind of leads me to the next question. What are you excited about in the future? This as well as other things, what excites you right now? Well, what excites me is uh, there's just so much to learn and so much to do. I'm mean, excited about teaching. I'm so giving back to the society and the community, so I'm definitely going to be teaching. I'm excited about working with uh, nonprofit and social organizations for helping them become more professional. Because part of my work, I also have been supporting as part of PNG, the Force for Good program, mm. and being a mentor to you know SMEs and MSMEs, uh, both here as well as we started that in Philippines. Third, I'm I want to give back and work with corporations and transform their business so they can make an impact in the world, not just you know now in the new world of sustainability, environment, and of course do good business, but also do good. So force for growth and force for good. Mm. So I think those are some of the things I'm really excited. I don't have any specific plans, mm. but you know, world is a big place. The needs are there and I'm sure some path will take me there as it has taken me in the last 32 and a half years. Absolutely. And, and, you know, serendipity started your career. Maybe the second part of your career could also be serendipitous and, you know, you never know how 
wide and global that would emerge. Yes, absolutely. You keep talking to people, you keep meeting people, and you put two people together, some good comes out. Yeah. Recently, you you took your daughter to higher education. I think you took her to university. And if I were to ask your daughter, Shreya, what she learned from you, what would she say? I think she would say she is uh, an incredible coach, spends time with me, is always available when I need him. And I can bounce off any questions with him. And I can treat him as a father when needed and as a coach when needed. Love that, Shankar. You've you've been a very good father, husband, as well as a leader. I know many people who worked with you. They have a huge amount of respect for you. Deepest congratulations on what you've done. And I wish you all the best. We're not leaving right now. We have a few fun questions, but this kind of closes the career and the life part. I, I want to take a minute to applaud all the good work you've done in serving people around you. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Sharad. Thank you. Thank you for this. It's made me reflect a lot on my approach to your career and life. <laughs> sure thing. I'm going to now go into a little bit of fun zone. You talked about reading more than you need to. Yeah. Uh, what are your go-to books? I think my single biggest go-to book is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm. So I think I've read that book maybe six, seven times or eight times. I practice it. I'm not good at it, but I'm learning. The second book I really I've really picked up recently and I've loved reading it. Actually, I give a lot of credit to Satya Nadella. Mm. It is Growth Mindset by Carolyn Dweck. Yes. And I teach and I teach and I know David Rock has picked it up and I'm a growth mindset trainer. And I think I've done maybe eight to 10 sessions. I, I love the book on Carolyn Dweck. I mean, it's very insightful how we as leaders can use language to drive growth mindset on people around us, especially amongst our children. But it's a topic I'm super passionate about. I did love this book of Colin Powell when he went through the hard time and, you know, became the chief of the army in the U.S. and coming from the background that he came from. So these are some, I do, I read Good to Great. I think that's a book Mm. of Jim Collins. I probably have read five to six or seven times. I still use some of the analogies like level five leadership, and things like that. So that these are books is what I've gifted to people. And there's a book of Paco Underhill, which I really loved. And I've read that book maybe four times, which is about how we buy. It's a qualitative understanding of people's behavior. And he used to live in a car in the US and that's how we started. So I think these are some of the, my go-to books. I keep referring back to them and still much to learn. Nice. What's the one thing about you that surprises people when they hear it? Hmm. I think uh, they get surprised about how calm I can be. Hmm. And also, a lot of people have told me that they miss my laughter, which is very (laughs) loud on the floor. (laughs) I've heard it across the floor, actually. Yes, so it's uh, it's a laughter and... You know, I didn't. I I used to feel a little ashamed about it, but I actually think it's a very good skill. I think it brings a lot of the. Mm. I think people get surprised that even in thirty years back, I took time off and did this. Mm. Uh, you know, hey, trekking the Himalayas. I said, if we could do it then, with hardly any money, mm. why can't you do it now? So I think some of these things surprises people, despite being at this level. Sure. Is there someone out there with no restrictions that you'd like to go out and have coffee with? You know what? I would like to have coffee with these people have passed away. But hmm. if there's no restriction, I would be yes. GRD Tata. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to. Maybe Amitabh Bachchan hmm. or Bill Clinton. And, you know, what these guys have achieved in life from the early upbringings has been uh, amazing. Or Nelson Mandela. Mm. You know, just how did he survive those 27 years in isolation? So I think those are some of the people I would love to have coffee with. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, guilty pleasure is uh, I watch, uh, well, I have to watch at least two to three episodes of Friends every week. (laughs) (laughs) I have to. Yeah. Uh, then I can watch uh, reruns of, uh, you know, Hindi movies. Like I, I love to see mm. I can mm. see those like 10, 15 times. You know, even 
the DDLJ, I can see those movies again. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the serious ones. So I think those are my guilty pleasures. Other guilty pleasure where I let off steam is meeting with friends and having a nice drink and a lovely dinner. That's something I really love. It's something I crave for. It's the best way to unwind. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, you know, having a few beers and, and, and good food is, is a great way to do it with friends. As we wrap up, Shankar, firstly, thank you very much for being so honest and open and, and such a powerful conversation. There's so much that people can take out of it. But bottom line, what's one final piece of advice or even challenge you'd like to give the next generation? I think life is beautiful, live it. That's one. Second, life is tough. Success is not easy. You have to work hard. You have to work with people. You have to work consistently. And it's not luck. It's, as we say, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. So you have to work at it. And the last one is seek out opportunities and be relevant and be resilient. Because, you know, I mean, my biggest fear after I leave PNG is that will I become irrelevant? You know, that's why I'm hungry to learn. And there's just so much more to learn. You know, if uh, if Warren Buffett can keep getting such great results at 91 <laughs> and, you know, continue running such a great company, I mean, what prevents us from learning more? So it's not over till it's over. So keep going. Absolutely. I, I like that. that. I think you mentioned that stay hungry and stay humble. Yeah. And that's how you can keep going and keep learning and keep reinventing yourself. The world is changing. I love that. Thank you very much, Shankar, for such an enjoyable conversation. I, I, I knew you from a distance. It's, it's great getting to know you deeper. And I'm sure people who know you will also get to know something interesting about you. So thank you very much. And I wish you all the best for the future and all the future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sharad. Really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me to do this. It's brought back a lot of memories of the past and good ones at that. And it's been great to reconnect with you. Thank you so much. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalumscom slash podcast or email pgalumpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. I've been Sharad Love. And I'm still Raman Segal. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.